we bootstrap the business, which you know is sometimes a, the right decision for a company and sometimes the wrong decision for a company. I think a lot of people default to thinking, I need to raise VC money. I think a lot of companies, VC money actually isn't the best fit for them if you're not gonna grow explosively. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Outside Sales Talk podcast. Um, today, we're spinning this podcast around, and I'll be interviewing your host, Steve Benson. So uh, my name is Anna, and I'm the head of PR here at Badger, and I'm also producing the show. Um, so today, I was thinking we'll dive deep into Steve's background and his career in sales, um, how he got started, um, how he built a sales career, and then how he ultimately ended up founding, starting Badger, and growing the company. And um, yeah, his lessons along the way and challenges, we'll get right into that. All right, sounds fun. Steve, tell us a little bit about um, how you got started in outside sales um, and your lessons along the way. Um, and just, yeah, I know you started uh, after college in insurance, and then kind of went to IBM and autonomy mm -hmm. and then Google. So tell us a little bit about your experience at the different kinds of companies and industries. Okay, yeah. So uh, I guess so I, I got started in insurance at Allstate right after college. And uh, I was there for about three years. Then I went to business school at Stanford. And it was there that I, uh, I, I, I when I entered business school there, I, I, I wasn't planning on going into sales afterwards. But it was during that time that I realized that was a really good fit for me. It was actually on the advice of a really good friend of mine who, uh, who, who's a very insightful guy. Uh, now he runs a pretty cool company, Stride Travel. Um, but uh, it was on his advice. He was like, you know, I was looking at like consulting jobs, and um, which is a very common path out of business yeah. school, whereas sales really isn't. And, uh, and he was like, you know, I think he, he basically told me in a nutshell, you'd be a pretty average consultant. Lots of people would have very similar skills to you, but you, you may have special skills in, in sales and that, that may, you might be the, one of the better guys in the room at that. And so, whereas you'd be just a normal, normal person in, in consulting, no special skills or abilities, I suppose. So he told me, I, he basically warned me I'd be awful mediocre at that job. Well, what, what did he say was that specific skill that would make you so like specifically made for sales? Um, I, I think it was, uh, communication, leadership, uh, grit. I mean, I think he just saw a lot of the characteristics that one would often look for in, in, a, in a salesperson. And, uh, and so he, and he felt that, that those were the areas where I would excel. And so I agreed with him. I was like, wow, that's insightful. And so, yeah. so I started looking at sales jobs going out of business school. And I landed, um, I looked at selling a couple different things. I was looking at med, med devices and, uh, and technology. And I landed on technology as being the thing that was really interesting to me. So I started out at IBM, which is a really interesting place to start selling. IBM, you know, they obviously started out as like a hardware and software company, but then they moved most of their business into, into consulting eventually. And so I kind of had to learn to sell you know, consulting services and hardware and software and get exposed to all those different parts of the market. And IBM kind of they do a little of everything. So, you know, they, 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 they really try to be a place where it's like, well, one throw up to choke. We, you could give us your whole IT staff and we'll take mm -hmm. care of the whole thing. 
And, uh, and so it was a really good place to get started because it gave me a broad understanding of what, what the tech space looked like. One of my lessons there was selling hardware services and software was that software is a lot better of a business than hardware. Hard, hardware is a challenging industry in technology. Uh, it often commoditizes in the United States, obviously selling servers, it's Dell and HP and commodity boxes. And um, it was a difficult time to be, you know, with uh, between the trends of cloud computing and virtualization at the time, it's a tough industry. So I, I learned that was a tough industry. Services are always tough because you're actually doing a thing and selling selling hours of professionals, which is the mar better than the margins on hardware in general, but also fraught with risk and challenge and difficulty and unhappiness in customers, et cetera. And then there was software where it was like, you know, here's the disk, and yes, the, it's, the software's going to do what it says, what we say it does, and, yeah. and it, lo and behold, it does. And, and so I really liked the software industry the best. It was, you know, the highest margin. It's like, you know, a good way to think about this is if you, and this is a lesson across the board, I'd say, for salespeople, you want to sell expensive things that are high margin. The more expensive and the more high margin, the more value you're creating for the company that you're selling for, and so probably you're going to get paid more. And, and uh, so if you sell them, what's harder, what's harder to sell? A million bucks in hardware or a million bucks in software? I mean, a million bucks in hardware or software, for the CIO or whoever buying it, it's a million. A million bucks is a million bucks. A dollar is a dollar, right? Um, but for a company that just sold a million bucks in hardware, maybe it cost them nine hundred grand to make and ship and deal with that million bucks in hardware. The software didn't cost anything. It's just yeah. got a cost of sales on it, right? So it's basically pure margin. So um, you know they're giving the company a disc and saying, where's our million dollars? Whereas the servers, it's like, well, we just delivered you this truckload of, uh, you know, servers and you know, yeah. these ones broke and you know, it's, it's hard. So bottom line, that's the lesson for salespeople there. So, you know, sell high margin and uh, the more expensive things you can. And with that advice, taking that advice to heart, I then switched to a company called autonomy, just selling software. Yeah. And uh, from there, um, there was kind of a trend uh, that was starting then, you know, that we were actually, Autonomy was in the same building as Salesforce, one of the early players in, in the SaaS space. There was a trend of moving software from disks and downloads to software as a service. And uh, Autonomy was experimenting with that and I got exposed to it there. And then I switched to Google, who was really going, really going after that market and really mm -hmm. kind of lead with Salesforce and a few other, a few other companies like SuccessFactors, really going after that market. And so that's, how I ended up um, selling software as a service at Google. The first sale um, is usually like a very, like a big deal for someone who is starting out in sales. Mm -hmm. And um, do you remember your first sale and how that was? And if that was challenging or if it was very rewarding or how that experience was like when you made your first big sale? Yeah, I mean, so IBM, almost all deals are complex deals because mm -hmm. they are, intertwining uh, hardware and software and services. And so you're, it's a great example of needing to herd cats on both sides of the fence, meaning that you're hurting IBM, like other people that work at the company, you're hurting those cats and like, oh, this is the specialist on this product, this is the specialist on this product, and then we're bringing yeah, in these, the, people, these people to deal with the services. And you know, so when, when we did a 
when we would do a pitch um, of a of a full solution, you would need a lot of people from from the IBM team involved mm -hmm. and a lot of people from the customer team involved to touch a lot of places. Yeah. And uh, and my role was kind of to sit in the middle of that. So I was in, I was in charge of managing the relationship between IBM and uh, and a couple large companies that they were doing business with. And so in terms of lessons from those first sales. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I kind of already mentioned it, but the lesson was, wow, this software stuff is great. Yeah. <laughs> this, these services, I mean, we would, you know, you could talk, we would sit and pitch and talk for hours yeah. and about the services because you really have to dial it in. It's like, yeah. well, we're going to charge you, you know, $500,000 for it to do this thing. We really have to be sure that we can do that thing mm -hmm. profitably within 500 grand, but the margins are tight enough. So it's like, and, and a lot of it was like, well, are we really going to be able to do this for 500 grand or are we going to lose money on this? Like the, the services side is difficult. Yeah. And, and uh, then also probably dealing with all the parties involved, the different influencers mm -hmm. and the decision making with the complex deals. Exactly. Yeah. And there was some of that at Autonomy too, because we were definitely selling both software and services, but mm -hmm. no hardware and, uh, and, and, and it was, it was cleaner. It was definitely easier and, and much closer to, you know, Autonomy was much closer to being a, a software yeah, so um, let's talk a bit more about your experience at Google because I feel like everyone who doesn't work or hasn't worked at Google is always curious about the work environment <laughs> there and how, how that experience mm -hmm. is like, and especially in sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and, and I was in a unique part of Google because like, I, I wasn't selling ads, which is 98% mm -hmm. of their business at the time, or 99%, I don't know. I think it's, it's less now. They've diversified a bit. But I mean, mostly what they do is sell ads on that you know on the, on as people enter the internet they they get to lay ads on uh, on the way in great business if you can get a monopoly on the entrance you can do that <laughs> it's a good business model. but uh i wasn't involved in that part at all i was involved in their enterprise software group so uh gmail selling google apps mm -hmm. um gmail uh their search appliance their security software google maps Mm -hmm. So I, the the software that they sell to companies, and, and that was a smaller, that was basically a startup within Google. When I joined, I'm not sure there were probably 150 people working on that. It was so it's very early. Now mm -hmm. it's huge, obviously, and they, and, they, and it's you know their cloud computing business has gotten very large in general. But it was very early, so I kind of got to experience how Google does a startup within Google, mm -hmm. which was very that I learned a ton. And I mean, just a tremendous amount about how this stuff gets organized and what strategies work. They have a huge advantage in that their brand is made of, made of solid gold. So anything you're doing with, when you're selling their products, you really got that brand backing you up. So we were able to do, do some things from a marketing and sales perspective there that as a startup, you know, now I could, you know, it, when I started Badger, we could never have done obviously, but, but for, learned a ton there. It's a great place to work. I mean, it was, it was a very, you know, very different culture then than my friends that work there now tell me, but it, it was much more startup-y mm -hmm. and young. It's, you know, obviously a huge company now, one of the biggest in the world. But yeah, they 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 treat employees really well. You know, obviously they there's all the perks that you hear about the the food. They're all true. <laughs> they basically are. I mean, they print money, right? So. You, it turns out money doesn't buy you love, but it does buy a lot of nice things. So, <laughs> so, so uh, and, and uh, you know, in, in terms of being an employee, 
they were they're they're definitely able to confer a lot of value you know, uh, through because they have a lot of money to spend. So it, it, there are a lot of perks of being there, and that's one of the things you look for in a job is being pleasant and perky. And yeah. so it's it was it was a great place to learn. It was a great place to grow, and and uh, and it was also they, they do make it very pleasant. Very hard to leave there to uh, to go bare bones in a startup. <laughs> yeah, so that's actually where the transition was perfect. Um, so how did you come up during your time at Google still? How mm -hmm. did you come up with the idea of Badger and um, what was the inspiration there? Well, you know, a lot of people start out, you know, being like, oh, I want to start a company. I want to be an entrepreneur. Right. There's like this whole thing in our culture now, and especially in the Valley here uh, in San Francisco, people, you know, kind of idolize the concept of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and really think you know, they, they go after it a lot. Um, and it's very, it's a popular concept. I actually didn't start out saying, oh, this is what I want to do. I always want to be, I, I was, you know, happy in my sales role and, uh, and kind of developing my career in that direction. I, I guess I can't, I saw the problem that Badger solves, or I guess mm -hmm. the set of problems that Badger solves. I, and I understood it really well because of my background in sales. Mm -hmm. And I had worked with the, done a lot with mobility at Google, you know, on the Android side, and done a lot with the, uh, with, with mapping at Google. And so I, I understood that there were field salespeople being extremely mobile and the development and the direction that mobility was going in. And, you know, the, these phones that were all walking around, I mean, this is 2000, what, nine. And so 2010, so that, you know, I, I was, mo people, people all had these phones in their pocket, but they were slower. The internet was slower on them. The, the processing power on the on the actual device was was slower, but I could see where it was going. You know, the, the Google Maps API was maturing, so I was able to see well these devices with this API and these mapping capabilities are going to be able to solve this problem for these people as as it all, all as all these kind of technologies mature and there's there's going to be a confluence there, and so it was it was kind of a matter of seeing that happening and, and mm -hmm. then skating to where the puck was going instead of where the puck was. And I basically just saw the opportunity and went for it. Uh, it definitely felt a little crazy at the time. And uh, my, my mom definitely thought it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you basically experience that problem yourself, right? It was still when you were in that, in that role too and mm -hmm. were out of the field and realizing I'm missing opportunities because I don't, I just didn't realize that this client or this lead was in that area too, or yeah. For sure, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and salespeople, the, the problems we're solving, salespeople have always had, there just wasn't technology to solve it yet. I mean, mm. you know, in 1964, people had a map and uh, it was actually great. I watched that movie, uh, Ray Kroc, the McDonald's founder, and like he was like a field sales partner yeah, for like, yeah, uh, he was selling, uh, he was selling milkshake mm -hmm. makers to, yeah. to restaurants. And, and he, he's a field sales guy and like it's 1965 or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and uh, he's driving around, he's got a map and he's calling, calling people from, from like landlines yeah. and he's, he's building a route and he's got his, his customer leads and his lists. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's basically, he's doing all the things that Badger does. He was just doing it by hand. Yeah. And and that's until Badger came along. That's what people were doing, right? I mean, they weren't. They had switched. You know, they weren't using paper maps anymore. They were using MapQuest or Google Maps. They, you know, they had CRMs. They weren't using a just a stack of note cards. They, uh, but they, you know, they still had their calendar. Maybe it wasn't paper, but it was on 
all separate devices or yeah. apps. Yeah. yeah, separate software, not talking to each other. Yeah, um, no capability to like automate a route building, mm -hmm. you know, or anything like that. So, and, and just not not able to manipulate the information in a geographic way, right? Being able to sort your customers by different attributes on. Yeah. These weren't things that were available to me when I was at Google, uh, and and I knew well, there were. Yeah. Yes, you had them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and there were, and in my you know my whole sales career, I'd always been outside sales, mm -hmm. and it was it, I was scratching my own itch for sure, and uh, and I knew there were tons and tons of other people that had the same problem. It's not you know I was just in the right place at the right time. I'm mm -hmm. I'm not like a creative genius or uh, or anything like that. I just, <laughs> it was like well. I, these phones are getting these phones are gonna get better. I've, I've worked with Google Maps. I know what it can do, and I know this yeah. problem because I'm already in sales. So yeah, it was yeah. definitely a great position to to get started with Badger. And, and that's basically what happened. I mean, I was like, this this is really a this is a big problem. Mm -hmm. You could build a company solving this problem. Yeah. Who do I know that could do such a thing? <laughs> I guess I I guess I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I jumped in the deep end, and yeah. uh, and the rest was history. Yeah. What, what did you, was there like a breaking point that made you take that leap? Your friends or family that said like, yeah, I'll do it. Or was it just um, yourself pushing it and like, yeah, I'm just going to risk it. I guess, uh, about six months before I left, I really you know, I decided to do it. Uh, I, I went on a backpacking trip with my sister. We, mm -hmm. we, we did every year we hike around in the mountains, do it less now that I'm super busy and doing all this, but, and, and she, she, uh, She's had, got less free time these days too, but we always just take a you know nine day trip a, a year and go mm -hmm. you know weekend to weekend and hike around the mountains. And on that trip, I basically talked her ear off about the idea, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and and you know I was trying to decide should I should I go after this or mm -hmm. you know stay on the comfortable path here, and and so yeah, it was a, that was kind of the breaking point where I was like, mm -hmm. I, you know, there's a big opportunity here, and I could I could do this, yeah. I could solve this. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was, in all honesty. <laughs> I would have thought that I was seeing around this corner, right? Mm. It's like, you know, I, I had a business background. I wasn't mm -hmm. like your average engineer who's yeah. like, I'm going to start a business. How hard could this be? Like, yeah. I, I actually understood a lot of the complexity of, you know, sure, of yeah. this sort of thing and, you know, studied it in business school and stuff. But even what, given what I knew, which was, you know, not enough. I thought it would. I thought it would be three times easier than it actually yeah. was. And and there's another piece of advice for for a lot of people who are thinking about starting a company. Yeah. Is, it is a lot harder than if you've got a comfy job at Google, you might want to consider staying. <laughs> 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 or any any nice comfy job, you know. It's it's like it's yeah. fraught with risk. It's yeah. a lot harder than you think. And yeah. you gotta when when you have a, when you start a business, you have to drag and push the rock up the mountain mm. and most most rocks are not able to be pushed up mountains so it's uh I, I i've seen it go badly more often than i've seen it go well yeah. and we had a lot of lucky breaks and a lot of things happen you know happen that that worked out for us that were weren't mm -hmm. predictable one of my lessons was that it's harder than it sounds <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of my favorite books is actually called uh, impossible to inevitable mm -hmm. it's a jason lemkin's book and he he talks about why it's basically impossible to get a company from zero to one. It's like yeah. you go from zero dollars in revenue to a million dollars. And then the second part, inevitable, once you're making like, like I, think, I think his number is 10 million. At 10 million, a SaaS business is basically unstoppable because yeah. there's so many people, mm -hmm. you know, you, you've proven out that there's a market and there's enough money coming in the door that you're going to be able to keep developing that yeah. market. So um, great title for a book.
but it, it is basically impossible <laughs> to, to get to get from zero to one. But when when you yeah, do, when it's you, great. Yeah, when but. you do it, when you got made that leap. So, what what do you do? You think is um, was the biggest challenge that you um, had to face while starting Badger, and that can be at the very beginning or um, after the first year. You know, the biggest challenge is uh, so we had a lot of advantages over a lot of startups. You know, just having you know a professional sales and marketing person mm -hmm. myself on on staff from the beginning. <laughs> Um, that that's a lot of a lot of startups are started by like a couple of engineers who the marketing and sales side I think deep in their hearts they really believe will just work itself out once mm -hmm. if they build a great product people will discover it and come yeah. which does work sometimes but it's but often doesn't um, a lot of great companies die not because they weren't able to create great technology or solve mm -hmm. a problem they just weren't able to tell the world hey we've solved a problem it's worth you paying us to solve we were always very good at interacting with early customers mm. and finding, understanding their problems and, under, and understanding what problems we needed to solve to, to make them willing to pay for a solution. Mm. Um, you know, and that's what this is all about, right? It's about creating 10 times the value than your thing costs, right? It's like, yeah. you're going to buy this thing and it, it's going to create 10 times the value. So, and, and that's kind of when people see a problem at that, when they see a problem of that scale being solved, it's mm -hmm. obvious enough to them. They're like, "Oh, I should really do this." You know, even though it's a noisy world, everyone's got a nightmare going on. If something's like, "Oh, this is a big problem. That's worth something to me," then oh, and this is oh, it's only that much to, to solve right. it. Okay, I, I actually probably should make that happen. That wasn't the biggest challenge for us, which is the biggest challenge for most people: getting, yeah, paying customers, mm -hmm. and solving the right problem, interacting with customers enough that you really nail the nail the, mm -hmm. nail their needs. Our biggest problem was always around doing enough for customers quickly enough. So meaning solving enough problems that, yeah. you know, so, so more on the on engineering and product side. Yeah. yeah. Developing the actual product because mm -hmm. we just, we never had enough hands on deck. It was always, Oh, we want to solve all these problems mm -hmm. for these customers. And this is what a full solution would look like is, is doing all of these things. And, uh, we don't have enough engineers to build that. It's going to take years to build that. So it's choosing, okay, well, let's solve this and this. And then next we'll do this and this. And then we'll go back and do this better. And then we'll yeah. do this and this. And and so that was, uh, it was definitely the creating the product to solve the problem that was always the problem. The, mm -hmm. the biggest challenge for, for Badger. Yeah. And you bootstrapped the business as well. So what made you right. decide to, to do that and go with that? Well, that's right. that's why it was so hard. We never mm -hmm. had enough money for enough engineers. Yeah. Engineers are hard hard to come by right i mean it, you know it's it's a competitive and hiring environment in in san francisco here, yeah. and for talented engineers but yeah we we bootstrap the business which you know is sometimes a, the right decision for a company and sometimes the wrong decision for a company i think a lot of people default to thinking i need to raise vc money yeah. um i think a lot of companies vc money actually isn't the best fit for them if you're not going to grow explosively and become a really pretty big company in like, you know, six to nine years, then VC money is not, it's gonna cause problems for you. Cause that's really what their business model needs. Not cause they're jerks, just cause that's, yeah. they're, they're making, they, they make big bets on things that sometimes work, don't work out. And so they have, you know, they have a lot of companies go to zero you know, if you're investing in Instagram then yeah. and things like Instagram, there's going to be one winner in the photo sharing space or two, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll ask Snapchat in a few years. Oh, 
<laughs> but uh, there's going to be a handful of winners in the world of photo sharing. But you know, 20 businesses must have got VC money in that space, right? Yeah. There's only one winner. Yeah. So, so if you're if you're a VC and you're investing in in those types of spaces, where there's going to be a lot of zeros, mm -hmm. you need your the ones that do work out to really be heroes if you're going to give a good uh, if you're going to give a good return to your investors as a VC. So back to us that means it, you know we didn't take vc money because as we were looking at this it, it did not appear to me that we would have a 80 million to 120 million dollar business in six to nine years and that's really in the SaaS space the types of returns that you need the types of speed mm -hmm. and go figure i was right we're not a hundred million dollar business mm -hmm. seven years into it so that means I was right. The VCs would have been angry, and that would have caused that yeah. would have caused conflict, right? They, mm -hmm. Because they they need to give their money back to their to their to their uh, LPs, limited partners, and and they need to do it in a in a time frame. Their fund yeah. only lasts so, lasts so long, so they they really need explosive business, businesses to to invest in. And uh, I think a lot of people try to trick them into thinking that they or mm -hmm. they you know the, the entrepreneur hopes and the VC hopes that this will be an explosive business yeah. of that nature. And sure, there's always a chance, but mm -hmm. you know, in my heart of hearts, I did not think that that would that 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 was the industry that we're looking at here. I thought this was more of a, a more of a, a longer haul. I mean, I think we'll we'll we're growing into a big company, but we need 15 years to get there, not seven. Yeah. So yeah, know, it's uh, so that that's how we ended up bootstrapping, and it worked out for us because we were able to monetize early on, and that's mm -hmm. obviously critical if you're if you're gonna bootstrap a business you need to be able to bring in revenue early because something's got to pay people's salaries, right? And it, you know, we had some advantages too. I mean, I could basically not pay myself for years because I had some savings from, from prior, from, you know, my prior jobs and I, and I, I could play a lot of roles. I could do the marketing sales. I could, right. I could wear a it lot was of a hats. big advantage too, that you came from the sales background too, and were able to, right. to get those early sales. Yeah. And Real helpful to have a free, uh, a, a free expensive <laughs> a free resource like that. Yeah. Person, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and we also the early team. We just had a fantastic early team um, that, and they were all able to wear the, wear all the hats yeah. and and get the things done. And uh, and you need that if you're bootstrapping, is you need you know you can't have any any big gaping holes. So uh, it all kind of fell in place, and we definitely got lucky in a minute. But because sure it'd be lo sure it'd be easier if you if you raised ten million dollars, but then Six years later, if you're not making if you're not yeah. making sixty million dollars a year, you're gonna have a problem. So yeah, this is really interesting. Also, maybe for listeners who are looking to maybe start eventually their own business, um, is there any advice that you wanna would give to someone who's kind of thinking about maybe starting their own thing? Oh, don't do it. <laughs> 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 Just enjoy your life, man. <laughs> no. Um, you know, it is the most rewarding thing I've done professionally, obviously. It's, uh, I've learned so much. It's been fantastic. I recommend to people that they, that they take the leap and start a company, um, but start a company the way a naked man climbs a barbed wire fence very, very <laughs> carefully. Don't, don't just jump in. Don't just... You know, think about it carefully, research, make sure that the problem that you're solving is one that people will pay for. Mm -hmm. And you, and you got to have conversations with a ton of people who you think are going to be 
your your buyer, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and there should just be lots of them. If you're gonna start a company, there's, there should be like, you should be able to find thousands of people who are like, oh, and that person would buy it, and that company would buy it, and that company would buy it. And you gotta talk to a bunch of them and have them say, yeah. I, mm -hmm. like, it's, a, it's showing them what you're gonna do, paint the dream for them, and then ask them, if I build this for you in four months, would you, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, and, and I'm able to solve this set of problems, mm -hmm. would you buy this for this much money at that time? Yeah. And if they're like, oh yeah, you solve that problem for that much money all day, I'll pay you. Yeah. Whereas if, if that, if to that question, they, they hem and they haw a little bit and they're like, oh, I mean, I'd have to check it out. I have to see it. I'm not sure. That's real bad. So you want, you want people to be like, oh yeah, I would, if you solve this problem, I would pay that much for sure. Heartbeat yeah. Make, done. Yeah, making Show sure me where to sign. do that research before and I'm sure there's a market. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of people seem to think they're solving the right problem or they are solving a problem, but it's not one that people would pay for. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you can bring those early customers in over the line too. You can, you can, you can say, when you're interacting with those early customers, you you can say you can do it almost like a almost like a consulting engagement. Like you can get them to sign. Hey, if you sign up now, it's going to be you know, we have to we always have to build it for the next four months. Um, you know if we don't if you don't finish it for six, we're not going to start charging you. But have but if you'll sign now, we can do it at this price. And if you were to wait another year before you do this, it would end up costing. In a year, this, this product will be done. We'll be charging this much. So you're really, you're taking a little risk because, right. you know, what if we couldn't do it or something, right. but in exchange, you're going to get this first. You're going to have an mm -hmm. advantage over your competitors because you'll have it and they won't, and you're getting a discount now. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be, it's going to cost 10 times more in two years. Yeah. So come in now and, and sign. Yeah. And so that's you can, really great advice. You, yeah. can, you can get people to sign up that way. And, and we did. And so not only have you been funding the business with that, but you're also validating people are really going to pay for this. Yeah. So th th that's my advice to people that are starting in, in creating a business. Mm -hmm. Make sure you can check those boxes. And, and that really, uh, really mitigates your risk. This is great advice. And I think also getting to know your background and we got your whole story now, kind of everything comes together. I mean, we also, listeners understand better where, the idea of Badger came from and mm -hmm. um, that you experienced that same problem and um, kind of where your inspiration for Badger came from. Um, so we'll go into our next section now, which mm -hmm. is called Sales in 60 Seconds. Um, so you'll t give us the answers, as you obviously know, <laughs> in 60 seconds or less. All so right. first of all, tell us a fun fact about uh, Badger's early days. Oh, we had a lot of fun in Badger's early days. A lot of foosball, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of late nights, putting things together. Um, fun fact: Badger for a little while was operating out of the back of a dentist office down by the uh, <laughs> down by the train station. Um, they had like the dentist office had like a room in the back where they kept their garbage cans. <laughs> and Badger, <laughs> real estate's expensive and hard to come by in San Francisco. And so to go to the bathroom, we'd have to like walk by all these dentist chairs, people like, getting their teeth worked <laughs> on. Yeah, it, was, it was a little weird, but uh, the rent was really cheap and uh, well, and we had no money. So that was good that it was really cheap. But uh, yeah, so we were in the back of a dentist office. That is funny. That, I'm sure that was a great experience. Uh, what is your favorite podcast that you listen to? My favorite podcast? Well... I really like the Saster podcast. Mm -hmm. That would not be terribly helpful to our sales listeners, but it's for 
it basically they they bring on SaaS software company uh, execs and investors and discuss different issues around uh, running one of these businesses and how to do it right and ideas mm-hmm. and how to market all, all they cover in general all the things that you would that, I, that I'm interested that you in need to know. <laughs> put on by a, a guy named Harry Stebbings young young guy yeah. uh, from from England great accent. <laughs> it's it's a they, they get great people on there because you know they great great guests on on the on the podcast who so it's it's really uh, it's cool that's that's my my that's the one that I listen to uh, I, I listen to all their all their episodes and they've got cool. two hundred yeah. so <laughs> we're not quite there yet yeah um, what do you enjoy most about your job um well I think that I enjoy building the team growing the people on the team and watching them develop and like working with mm-hmm. them to kind of grow and, 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 and build on themselves. I, we've got, you know, I, I you know, Badger's an interesting culture, you know, obviously, you know, who's <laughs> 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 interviewing here? Um, you know, people really like working here and everyone's friends and like, you know, it's, it's, it's a really unique culture. And I, and my favorite part is the people that I work with. And, and these days I'm, you know, I used to interact with our customers all the time. Now I'm I'm much more. I, I spent very I spent a lot less time with our customers and interacting with them, and a lot more time interacting with the team and growing mm-hmm. the team and um, you know building it. Where do you see Badger in five years? Well, I mean, you know, things are obviously going really well. Uh, if hopefully we'll just keep growing at our current rate, uh, and we'll be a, a much bigger company solving many more problems for field salespeople in five years. And I'm, I'm really proud of what we've accomplished so far. And we've, so we've solved a lot of annoying big problems for, for field salespeople, but there are a bunch more that are on our list. And so we're going to keep, uh, keep having our engineering team crank away at all these problems and keep having, you know, keep bringing more people on and getting them set up successfully. And, and really, I, I, I plan on just keep, keep, keep adding to the capabilities in the product. How did you come up with the name of Badger Maps? Badger Why Maps? Badger? Well, I went to the University of Wisconsin for undergrad, and so I am a Badger. 2012, when I was naming the company, like January 2012, the, mm-hmm. the, there's that uh, video, one of the most popular videos of 2011 on YouTube was mm-hmm. the crazy, nasty-ass honey badger. Yeah. Which, if you haven't seen that, you really should look it up. It's I'll go onto Google and type <laughs> in honey badger. Yeah, the crazy, nasty-ass honey badger. And it's got this hysterical four-minute video talking about badgers. So, at the time, the badger had a very good brand yeah. to it. So people, it brought a smile to people's faces. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your best sales advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Oh, Since God. you haven't given yours. In, in 60 seconds? <laughs> you, can, you can take okay. some more time. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, it, the best advice I can give in sales, I think, is don't seek to sell. Seek to create value and seek to understand your customer, listen to your customers and prospects, and seek to create value for them. Uh, in any way that you can, really. I mean, just be a valuable resource, whether it's giving them great information when they're a prospect, whether it's you know about your exact your product or about other things. Just be a be a resource, create value in the world, and uh, though that karma and favors and uh, and and it all comes back to you. And, and uh, salespeople are the 
the grease in the gears of the machine of the economy. And uh, I just made that up. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. That's <laughs> <a> good one. <laughs> <laughs> and and if, if they seek to create value and make things go smoother, and just, then uh, you know, the economy grows and they're able to create value and make sales. And it all kind of filters, all, mm. all cycles back. That was great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story, for sharing your background, for sharing more details about Badger. That was great. Well, and thank you for producing the show and thank you for having me on my show. For sure. <laughs> Anytime, Steve. Um, so guys, that was it. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of Outside Sales Talk. Um, we learned so many interesting things about Steve and also how Badger got started and why. Uh, as always, if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to us to feedback at outsidesalestalk.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe to it. It really helps us if you leave a review as well. It helps us spread the word. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back with an amazing guest next week. So stay tuned.